Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Happy holidays, everybody, from the trillion-dollar business of sports. It's global. It's bigger. We're in the middle of bowl season, but we'll deal with that at the end of this. It is at the end of 2017. It is our annual 17 items to think about in 2017. We're going to deal with the top five, and to help me through it and to give me the usual long-overdue perspective is the global grand editor of Intergalactic Sports at Reuters, Dan Colarusso. How are you? I am um, feeling intergalactic today. You and I are in the same state, but not in the same location. We're both in sunny Florida uh, for the holiday, so that's nice. I'm doing well. Um, it was a great year for sports business. I mean, we once Derek Jeter becomes an owner of a major league baseball team, and that doesn't even make our top five. No, because you know those of us who are here in South Florida are waiting for a recount and hanging chads, and we also can't believe that three weeks after he becomes the owner of the uh, of the Marlins, he trades away the iconic player back to his former team. But that's for another day. <laughs> first ballot Hall of Famer. That's what you got to do. Get rid of first thing on the job. Kill a hostage. Yeah. And, oh, yes. And oh, by the way, um, I, I know this is not on our list, but as long as we're talking about it, he had a series of town hall meetings down here in South Florida. Yeah. And he got booed off the stage, ladies and gentlemen. So Derek Jeter's celebrity lasts for a very small time here as the Marlins fans feel like same old same old but so Jeter's the one New Yorker who can't retire to South Florida is that it well some would say he's already retired to South Florida based on his sales price and his lethargy and his intransigence but I guess that's a pretty good way of summarizing how Derek Jeter is perceived right now okay enough Jeter enough Jeter on to the top five enough Jeter on to the top five number five the rise of esports it's become national. It's become international. You've got guys like Mark Cuban who are investing in it. It goes from a laugh last year to a real deal this year to potentially an Olympic sport in two years to something that nobody is dismissing. People can argue whether working a joystick is athletic, but nobody can dismiss that it's not good business. What do you think? Yeah, it's not particularly athletic, but it seems to be entertaining. Um, In a special Keeping Score one-off, I did an interview with Peter Fagan, the president of Milwaukee Bucks, uh, and I've come to know Peter a little bit over the past year, but they were talking about the Milwaukee Bucks just launched their NBA 2K franchise, and the fact that there's actually a draft of players to play these video games at this point. The fact that Reuters broke a story a couple weeks ago about a town in China that's building a whole economic development plan around esports academies um, strikes me that there's a uh, this may be a, a solution as it moves forward to the interactivity problem that major professional sports has in attracting young people. Young people don't just like to spectate. They like to be involved, whether it's social media, whether it's some kind of gaming around it or contest around it, um, kind of like American Idol. Um, I think esports plays a crucial, crucial role in this going forward for, for franchises, major, you know, the big five sports to capture the imaginations of the millennials. Well, you know, it, it is interesting because, and we'll, remind me, we'll do this in, in January 
Remember, we also did Mark Lazary, who is the owner of the Bucks, and Peter Fagan deals with him on a, on, a, on a kind of a staff basis. And they were both emphasizing the fact that they've got to reach out and expand their demographics, especially in a relatively small market. And this does exactly that. It's not only interconnectivity, but all of these stick and ball sports are looking for a way to transcend the existing demographics. This may be the way to do it. So onward and upward in 2018, you predict for esports? Oh, absolutely. I, I, if I'm paying attention, it could only mean onward and upward, at least for the year. I don't know what, what the long term holds, but I think everybody's going to experiment. Yeah, and if you're paying attention here, maybe you've opened your mind a little bit. So, you know, who knows what looks ahead for, for you for soccer, lacrosse, and those other real sports that you've chosen <laughs> not to follow. So good for us, good for them, good for you. Number four, um, Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, dominating media headlines for months. The report is McGregor made at least 50, maybe 100 million bucks. He took a risk stepping out of his sport. But Floyd Mayweather retires at 50 and 0 with a 300 million night payday. How about that? Amazing. And you know what? This is a flip side of the same coin, I think. You can't generate enough interest in a boxing match unless you don't have a traditional boxer in it. Right? If you think of the way that mixed martial arts has usurped the fan base of traditional boxing and you think about how what Floyd Mayweather needed to get his you know, valedictory payday. It had to be a mixed martial arts fighter. Um, so that's a really interesting situation. I think it's it's a hybrid that we're going to see develop as well, too. I think it sets a really interesting um, meter for what boxing is going to have to do to keep itself relevant and what MMA is going to have to do to get itself to, to some bigger paydays. Well, my friend, now that we've had about four and a half months to reflect on that fight itself... Uh, are we clear that was a one-off, or are we going to see more to come between those two sports? I think you're going to see more to come because I think they both need each other. I don't think that the, the fan base of MMA is old enough, affluent enough to create huge paydays. I mean, I know there's a lot of economic activity around it, but I don't think it's premier boxing-level stuff at this point. And quite frankly, boxing has lost it, so its, it's, it's remaining fans are older, um, less mobile, and, and, and aren't quite as energized so many times a year as they used to be. So I think this, this helps. I think you're going to see more of it. Um, may, hopefully a better athletic event but, um, than Mayweather-McGregor, but that said, um, uh, you know, more, definitely more to come. Number three, Vegas. Well, the tragic shooting in Vegas will be remembered, but O.J. Simpson being released will be kind of remembered. But Vegas had a year to remember. The Vegas Knights become the newest team in the NHL, and at this airing, they're in first place in their division, an incredible 14-2-1 record at home. And then the same year, 31-1 vote, the NFL allows the Raiders to move to the Bay, from the Bay Area in 2020 if everything goes right on their billion-seven dome stadium. So... If a city can be a major topic, Vegas is it. What do you think? I'm with you. I, I don't I don't see how the Vegas Knights can't have a great home record. I mean, you can't unleash a group of 25 to 35-year-old males in Vegas and expect they're going to get up in, in shape for the next night's game. So I think the Vegas Knights are always going to have a good home record. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous economic development thing. I think fantasy sports has 
started to chip away at the walls between professional sports and gambling. I don't. We'll see whether that's good or bad. But I think the fact that Vegas scores an NHL franchise, which I think you know, you and I have spoken about this a hundred times, is a really nice sport for Vegas to get into this, get into major sports with. And the fact that the Raiders can get there if the Raiders end up going, if they stay more than five years, a lot of ifs with the Raiders always. But um, it's a really nice move for Vegas. I think it 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 kind of is that cultural bridge that we were waiting to cross that cleared the sports gambling type, you know, uh, agita or agitation that, that that traditionalists have. And I think that that's that's going to be the the battle for the first four or five years. But I think it'll I think it's 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 a good sign for Vegas. I think it's a great sign for the city. It's a natural fit. Yeah, you know what the irony is this year is last year we were talking about whether gambling would preclude. Vegas getting, or two years ago before the expansion, whether gambling would have precluded Vegas getting any teams. Now they have two, and the Supreme Court is about to rule next year. We'll cover it next week when we talk about 2018 issues on whether other states will have the ability to emulate Vegas and Nevada and follow in gambling. It's a really weird uh, twist of events. Really, very, very, very strange. And but again, it shows the melding. It shows that these things, these uh, ecosystems, have become dependent on each other. And you know, for better or for worse, we'll see. Yeah. Number two. Speaking of ecosystems, 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 weather. Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria, impacted many parts of our country, many parts of the North American continent. But from our perspective, it singles out how important the power of sports is. People like J.J. Watt raising $20 million in Houston. And all of these storylines are key to how important sports is as a rallying cry, whether it was Boston strong, Houston strong, or everywhere else. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, I'm not one for the syrupy, maudlin, um, sentimental view of these things. It was nice to see the Astros win the World Series. Um, It was nice for that, for Houston, after the devastation of Harvey. Um, And it was good to see J.J. Watt and people out in the community because, you know, in the age of free agency and all these other uh, conflicts that come around, you know, there's not the kind of old-time loyalty or we perceive there's not the kind of old-time loyalty to to cities that there was with players in the old days. Um, You know, uh, this showed that there's still a a core of that that's really valuable to the cities, really valuable to the franchises, and ultimately valuable to the fans in creating a connection, uh, which is the whole point of this um, before all those zeros. So I think you're right. I think it was – I think the the reactions and the responses were exemplary, um, and we've had a lot of that this year. And, you know, the national anthem protests, uh, again – um, with the NFL stepping in with some serious money for civil rights causes, you know, you're going to have to keep these communities intact. These communities pay the bills. Um, and we, we need to respect the fans and respect the people who are paying those bills. And, and I think, you know, the two are intertwined. And I think it's a really it was a, it was a worthwhile thing to see this year. And, and, you know, your comment is very important for another reason, too, because you're you are inherently skeptical, which is your journalistic training. And a lot of people probably feel the same way about a lot of the things that athletes do and what sports does to be a social power. Yet the NFL money that they threw at a lot of this stuff and Malcolm Jenkins and some of the other players who are foremost at trying to move these social causes – I think what it does is it really stresses this stuff is no longer gratuitous, but is very serious. And sports can really be a meaningful platform for social change. It's it's significant and it's influential and it's impactful on the bottom line. Um, And I think we're seeing that in the NFL um, more than any other league. And we'll see how that 
kind of evolves as well over 2018. It'll be interesting to see what the NFL looks like next year in terms of ratings, in terms of outreach. Um, and again, this is tangential to the topic of hurricane relief, but um, it is it is that uh, exactly that equation in that point in time. All part of the same process. Not tangential, big deal. We talked about Vegas as number three on this list. Let's talk about L.A. as number one. They get good football teams, finally. One at this airing makes the playoffs. The other one might. You get a new stadium in a couple of years. And more importantly, last year, this last year, the IOC chooses Paris 2024, but L.A. 2028. First time the Olympics comes to the U.S. since 96. They join in 32 and 84 as Olympic venue sites in L.A. Big, big year for L.A. and big year for the U.S. Olympic Committee and American Olympic Movement. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, again, you and I debate the future of the Olympics a lot here. Um, but if, if, there's a, if there's a system that rewards L.A. for its infrastructure and for its stadium situations and for its weather and for all the things that only L.A. has or that are hard to replicate anywhere else. Um, it's a really it, the Olympics deal was huge for L.A. The NFL deal is also huge. Um, the Rams, the resurgence of the Rams, quite telling. Um, for, for that team and for the city. Uh, the fact that the Dodgers are a contender. I mean, L.A. has uh, cemented itself, you know, um, at the top of American sports cities. And for a while, it looked like San Francisco would be it, you know, for the next decade. But I think L.A. has done very, very well um, this year. And the Olympics, the, L.A. could keep the Olympics relevant um, because of the media and entertainment runoff from that. And I think that bodes well for both the Olympics and LA. But I am not I am not optimistic. I'm not a bull I'm not bullish on the Olympics uh going forward, but I am bullish on LA making something, making a lot out of its opportunity with it. Well next week we focus on the top eighteen topics or the top topics for two 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 thousand eighteen and Korean Olympics, which is only two months away, will be one of the topics. But for now, we can dream about how important the L.A. Olympics will be because we know, in addition to everything else, they will be fiscally sound and the dollars aren't going to break them because they're using existing facilities. So when you think of all of this, it's eSports 5 and the Mayweather and then Vegas and then the Hurricanes and then L.A. All of this is based on in broadly defined the power of sports. And frankly, you can't think of anything more powerful than an icon stepping down before his time in the sun has expired. Uh, football time, we're ready for the playoff semifinals. Oklahoma thinks they're going to win. Everybody does. But Bob Stoops was the Oklahoma coach for 18 years. He steps down after those years. He has a record of 190 and 48. He's born in Youngstown, Ohio. He's got some brothers, including one who's the head coach at Kentucky, the other one who's involved with his team. And he steps down, and we'll hear about the interview, because he just wants to devote more time to family, which is an incredible answer from a guy who's won more games at Oklahoma than anybody alive. Before the playoffs start, you got to hear what Bob Stoops has to say. And by the way, to my really good friend, Dan Colarusso, have the happiest of holidays, and we're going to kick it in 2018. Uh, your mouth to God's ears, Rick. Uh, happy holidays to you, too. Sports professor Rick Carl, beyond the scoreboard, inside the boardroom, whatever you want to call it, this is an intersection of sports and business, but it's actually sports, iconic football, head coach beyond anybody's imagination. He's a humble guy, so he won't talk about the impact he's had on Oklahoma and the center of the sports universe, but I will. Bob Stoops, thank you very much for being here. Rick, great to be with you and good to be speaking to everyone. 
Thank you very much. We're here on an auspicious occasion, by the way. Everybody's dressed up. Fields and Futures are called the Bowtie Ball. They're raising a lot of money for charity, not only in this region, but also nationally, to do fields and educate kids and keep kids in schools because of fields. So give us your perspective on that program. Well, anytime you could uh, have youth, uh, teenagers involved in sports, it's going to uh, get in a positive arm around them, somebody to lead them, help them, help them achieve. Uh, there's nothing more rewarding in life than, uh, than to succeed, to, to strive for something, to work for something, and, and to be successful. And then there's lessons even if you're not successful in fighting for it. So um, it's a great thing. And, again, I think the positive role models of coaches – uh, other teammates being a part of a team. It's all special. It'll all, and it, there, it's proven fact that, that uh, children that are participating in sports do better in school. They have more participation in school, less misses. It's, it's, it's always positive. So uh, any, and in this, the Fields and Futures group, they're, given, they're building fields and, and, and giving equipment, hiring coaches to give more opportunity for all the, uh, all the youth, all the teenagers out there, and it's making a huge difference. Huge difference, and also at a variety of levels. These are for high school kids and Pop Warner and young kids and anything in between. You told a story yesterday at lunch about what the fields and the locker rooms were like when you came to a coach at University of Oklahoma before Joe Castiglione turned it around. Uh, tell us about that. Well, it's, uh, when, when I walked into the university, we had uh, the worst locker room I've ever walked into. And, 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 uh, and that, the perception of, of our players when they walk in that room is not positive. And same thing when these young youth walk out to a field that's all sticks and stones and isn't cared for, they get the feeling that no one really cares about them or they're not important, and, and that isn't the case. So when you can give somebody, we improved our locker room immediately, uh, Joe Castiglione, President Bourne, and, and revamped everything we could to the, to the level that we could, and it immediately changed our players' perception of themselves, that they felt worthy, they felt like, hey, we do belong here in, in big-time ball. And, and it changes your, your perception of yourself. And the same thing happens with building these fields and giving the, the youth something, uh, a place to go and participate that's really cared for. All of a sudden they realize they are important and people do care about them. So you come here, you came from uh, you know, Iowa and Kent State, Kansas State, Florida. Uh, you knew about Oklahoma and you knew how important it was. What was your perspective coming here? Did you realize this was an opportunity of basically unparalleled per potential to follow in the Wilkinson Switzer footsteps and build the brand absolutely I knew the the strength of Oklahoma uh, through the years the you know the decades of success um, you know the tradition and history here was second to none and I knew done properly that this was a job that you can compete for championships conference and national championships and uh, I knew it was it was never a stepping stone job that this was a destination job when done the right way and fortunately, it's worked out that way. So 190 wins later, now that you're gardening and not coaching, do you have any perspective on what the OU football program means to Oklahoma and the region? Oh, absolutely. I lived it for, for 18 years, and now 19, he's still you know attached to it to some degree. Uh, I get it, and um, there's a lot of identity that is attached, uh, attached to us and our success and, and the way we do things, and um, it's been a great run appreciate uh, the following, the fans, the support through the years. We've got a great fan base, and uh, it's, been, it's been a dream and a blessing to have uh, been the coach here for the 18 years that I, I was here. 
83 grad assistant at Iowa. That's when you started kind of the coaching career. How has the business of coaching changed since you started? Well, there's just there's a lot more. Uh, there's a lot of different ways now to communicate with everybody. Uh, there's a lot more uh, different ways to communicate to recruits. There's more media. In fact, everybody's media anymore. So in the end, it's uh, that way. It's changed. A lot of it hasn't. Uh, relationships and and building relationships with players and and uh, the football part of it. A lot of it is still the same. Uh, just connecting with your players and being able to motivate them and help them achieve. And um, you know that part of it uh, remains the same. Political question. Not expecting a, uh, a a a very specific answer. You haven't been away long enough. If there was a magic wand to change something in the NCAA relative to football, the business of what would you what would you consider doing? Oh, geez, a uh, couple of things. I, I would make. Uh, I would allow all players. Uh, for instance, the red shirt rule is, is outdated. Um, more games now uh, at the end of the year. In other words, now if you participate after the first four games of the season or the first third of the year, then you lose a year. So all of a sudden, Quentin Griffin, in, in our first year, we lost a couple, three running backs by the end of the season. In the last three games of the year, we have to pull Quentin Griffin's uh, redshirt year to play the last few games. He was great, he did well, and it helped him the following year, but he lost a year of eligibility. The rule ought to say if you play at any time and you just play four games, whenever it may be through the year, you still are allowed to have a redshirt year. So then he could have played the last three, four games of the year and still had his year back. So changing the redshirt year I I think uh, would be great. I'm in favor of the December 20 signing date. I think that's going to clear a lot of things up. I would change the uh, overtime rule. Uh, instead of putting the, the teams at the 25-yard line where you're already, if you have a decent field goal kicker in position to get a field goal, I'd put it at the 40-yard line where you have to earn the field goal. And then, uh, you know, I, I think it'd, it there'd be shorter o- overtimes as well. So uh, those are just a few ideas that pop in my mind. A few random ideas that he's had after having a little bit of a year to think about all of this perspective. What about the football playoff system as we tape this we're in the middle of exciting semifinals where OU is one of the four. Uh, is it harder or easier to coach for national championship perspective, let's say in December and January, than it was when we had a one-and-done or we had just polls winning a national championship and the like? You know, Give us your perspective on today's playoffs. Well, it's completely different. Back in the day when it was just polls, for instance, Oklahoma would go to the Orange Bowl all the time being Big 8 champs, and you might play the number 8, 10 team in the country. And then someone else might be second in the country, uh, might play someone that's uh, whatever. You, you can get different matchups. So you never had or you rarely had the top, the two best teams competing against each other. So right or wrong, you could have two champions then, uh, AP or, or coaches poll. And, uh, you know, and it, w- it was a different path then. Now it's harder with, with uh, the BCS and now. You're guaranteed to play in that in that bowl game. You're not going to play the 8th, 10th, 12th best team in the country and win and hope they vote you number one. You're going to play the best team. Or Be- one better, of the best. Better system? You like the system? I think it is better. Uh, I really am in favor of the playoff system now compared to the BCS where there were just two. I like the four. I don't think there's room for more games to have eight 
everyone clamors for that, but all of a sudden now big uh, uh, conference championship teams uh, games mean nothing. And, and you might as well get rid of those then and just go to an eight-team uh, playoff. And, and, I, and I think it devalues the regular season, which it's a hot item when the whole country's watching maybe a team that's third, fourth in the country playing in that last game. It's captivating. Now everyone wants to see if they'll lose. Another team may get in. Um, we sort of have a playoff. Look, yeah, look at the right. uh, conference championship right. games a, a week or so ago. Basically, some of those were elimination games. So in the end, I, I, I don't think there's time either in the players' schedule, academic schedule. Our guys have been in finals all this week. To add more games and, and, and college athletes that are 18, 19, 20 years old, and now they're instead of playing just 13, 14 games, now it's up to 15, 16, I don't, I don't think it's, it's uh, correct. I, I think we're at the best spot right now. And, uh, and let's face it, hey, if you're complaining because you're the fifth or sixth team that didn't get in, well, you should have played better or you should have scheduled better. That's the bottom line. Rumor has it that uh, college coaches are coming to your house recruiting your kid. How does that make you feel? Uh, both my, my, my boys, uh, Drake and Isaac, and uh, it's been great. Um, glad they have opportunities, and uh, we'll see where it goes. It's been different, uh, but, uh, but I'm used to it. I know I'm an easy interview at the house, and I, I lead them right into it. I know what, what they want to deliver, what, what, how they want to present things, so I lead them right into that presentation with my questions. My final question on this one is, uh, how, how does it make you feel that uh, you're, no, you're no longer the, the, uh, the, the head coach in the family? We, we, we got a guy who's head coach in Kentucky. He's doing pretty well, huh? Yeah, he's great. Uh, fortunately, got to see my brother yesterday, was in town recruiting. And, um, you know, Mark's done a great job at Kentucky. They continue to take steps, you know, forward and back-to-back uh, -back bowl games now. And they hadn't done that, I don't think, much before. So they're, they're making strides and steps. I know he still wants more. And they've been right there in a couple of tight games with the chance to, to have more. So hopefully they can keep getting over the hump. Finally, uh, does Bob Stoops miss coaching? And what does he do five years from now? Uh, uh, sure, I miss it. Uh, you know, you don't do this your entire life and make a life change like that without missing it or, or going through some growing pains. Uh, but that doesn't mean it wasn't correct. I'm, I'm very satisfied and correct with my decision, but uh, you need to learn how to do it. And it, 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 this new life is different. It'll grow on you. It, it's growing on me little by little. So uh, I'm in a good place. Uh, still, you know, still figuring out you know, what my path will be. Uh, five years from now, who knows? Um, uh, this year, I still, you know, very attached to the team, being that there are guys I recruited and all the coaches I brought here and hired and wanted to be around more and more and probably will be even next year. I don't, I don't know. I have to wean myself off of it. So uh, I'm really unsure what the, what the future will bring. The guy may want to wean himself off, but uh, listen, he's done a great job. And, by the way, you positioned a great replacement, so it's seamless. Well, it really is seamless. Lincoln Riley's done a fabulous job leading the team and um, as a head coach and offensive coordinator, all of it together. Um, I tell everyone, uh, yeah, we left a strong and positive and, and strong team, capable team, but he's done it. Uh, you know, all the year, the work he's done. You don't, I said this the other day that I don't care if it's Clemson, Alabama, um, you know, Georgia or, or Oklahoma, in June, you're, you're not a Final Four team. That has to be worked, developed, earned, and fought for and, and keep the focus through the year. And Lincoln's been able to get our guys to do that. So it's, it's really exciting, and hopefully we can finish it. 
Bob Stoops, you walk through central Oklahoma, and he's an icon. He won't admit it, but he's an icon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. The producer, Alex Cohn. Associate producers, Freddie Joyner and Ryan Warner. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, and Ronnie Sokatch, and the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Rick Haro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.